Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Beats his tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done three things. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. It's all different uh, when I changed, uh, you know, you know, from wearing St. Mary jersey to a Cavs jersey, from Cavs jersey to a Heat jersey, back to a Cavs jersey, and now being a Lakers. So uh, it definitely feels different. Uh, you know, and uh, take a little bit of time getting used to it. All right, that's LeBron James talking about his debut, preseason NBA. What do you find compelling about that? You know what I hate? What? I hate people when they talk to you now. My son does it all the time. He wears his daggone ear pods. Oh, that's, that's, he's got that the, is rude. He's got his Beats by Dre headset in while he's doing an interview. I, I just think that's a bad look. Like, I... Now it's harder now because you used to be able to like lift them up because they would stay on, but just now that they now. just but now because you can't really put them anywhere and they still want to have them out there. Yeah, advertising. I just you can't let them hang because they don't have the cord. I hate it. My son is it to is the rude. point now. This generation, he's to the point now where he puts one in when I ask him to take it out, <laughs> and I know there's music playing in it. Really? Like, and he's multitasking. Like he's doing. He's talking to me, and I know he's listening. To me. I just hate it, bro. I yeah, I, that's thing. that's got to be a rule. I'm gonna yeah. have a rule in my family. No, can't do no earbuds. No. Nothing. Not one in. No. All out. All all, out. all or nothing. Right. All or nothing. So, LeBron, first look in the Lakers uniform. I actually thought it was like, what was that PSNY? I don't know what that was on his hat. Some other company starting. Uh, anything compelling from this game at all besides he's doing the chalk thing still? Like, he's out there. He's fired up. It was cool to see him in a Lakers jersey. Absolutely nothing. It's preseason. Heck of a pass. Well, you want, you want me to right. break down his skill set in the preseason game? I wonder uh, what is what is more worthless, NFL preseason or NBA preseason? Because I don't think neither one of them are NBA preseason. Worse. I don't know. I mean, oh. no. Well, the possibility of being hurt in the NFL probably makes it worse than the NBA. Not a lot of guys get, like, injured knock on wood in the NBA preseason. But, I mean, it's – look, I learned it firsthand. I was out there in the preseason the year after we went to the finals. You made squads – I'm talking early in your career. Yeah. You make squads in the preseason? You no. Make, you don't. No. So you don't. Because that's one thing I would say in the NFL preseason. You can make a roster if you ball out. No. I mean, you, you if you're on a bad team, you can. Or – you know, if there's, there, there's scenarios where there's that one roster spot, but a lot of times, you know, going in, like my first times going to training camp with Atlanta, um, they, I, they, I was just there as a body. You know what I mean? Like those roster spots were spoken for. So generally speaking, there are not a lot of guys making a roster with an NBA training camp. You ain't gonna get to play that much. All right. So we led with LeBron. There you yeah. go, Coca. All right. We're moving on because it was a crazy oh. NFL season. I don't know why we started with NBA preseason, but hey, we do what our bosses tell us to do. Let's go to the NFL because it was a crazy day. The rookie quarterbacks were a big storyline across 0 for 4 and all of them, but some of them played well. Some of them didn't. Yeah. Baker Mayfield getting that first start on the road against the Oakland Raiders who were in a desperate position. They started the season 0 and 3. And this was one of the more entertaining games of the day. Uh, as you saw Baker go on the field, as I mentioned, he finished the day with two touchdowns, two interceptions, got sacked twice. It was a little bit up all over. I love the fact he threw the pick six early. And as, as it happens nowadays, like everybody's like, oh, there's his rookie. He's going to have an awful day. Didn't let it rattle him at all. Came right back. Uh, had an outstanding afternoon, but so did Derek Carr, who yeah. had 400 plus yards in a day and four touchdowns. Uh, so a fun game, and Gruden gets his first win. Um, I liked it that Baker kept firing, uh, and and obviously the coaching staff showed faith in him to allow him to keep going out there and and uh, play through that stuff. What the interesting part to me is how close the Browns seem to be, right? And the Browns are one of the teams that. You know, obviously they were terrible last year, but they're one of the more exciting storylines in the NFL from Baker to, you know, the fridge. Miles Garrett. Yeah, Miles Garrett. They got a bunch of high draft picks. And a lot of talent, right? And so 
they're very close to getting over the hump. I just keep saying, I said it when they lost to the Saints in that game. It just feels like they, they can't win. Like there's something in the way of them winning. So, you know, it leads me to believe that they're right there and it's just going to take that moment to get them over the hump for them to really believe. There are a lot of teams that have that, right? Where you're, you've been chopping, you've been chopping, you've been chopping. The tree hasn't come down. And then there's that moment where you're like, this is it. Like we, we, we are capable of doing it. And so I think that's, that's this team. I don't know what the moment is. I don't know when it comes, but well, it feels I thought, like they're I right there. I thought it was going to be against the Jets when Baker comes in off the bench. They have all this energy in Cleveland. You break open the beer cases and it's like, Hey, Cleveland's finally got that monkey off their back. Now they can move forward and right. play loose and play free, but it's the NFL. It's tough. And. It's just, I, I don't, I think they're there. I think they're close. They just gotta get some momentum. Maybe it's two wins in a row. Maybe it's just something signature that they have to do. But I'm with you. I think they are really close to contending for a playoff spot. Yep. But all of a sudden that, their division has been, uh, completely up for grabs. Uh, as we saw last night, the Raven Seals, we're going to talk about in a little bit. But I will say this. Another guy I'm happy for is Derek Carr. Put a ton of pressure on him. John Gruden did. Said he tries to do, tries to make too many throws. I think he's a legit quarterback in the NFL. I had no problem with them making their franchise guy, giving him the $125 million deal. He had his 14th game winning drive in the fourth quarter or overtime since entering the NFL in 2014. That's the second most behind Matthew Stafford. The only kickback people would say is, well, why are you trailing all the time? You know, I yeah. think it's because you're on a bad team. Yeah. You know, like I think you're in a, you're in a team that's in a bad situation. To me, I feel like that's a very positive stat because you feel like you always have a chance. If you had two quarterbacks, right? One was uh, clearly better than the other, right? By a degree. You're talking about a 10 and a 9. Mm-hmm. One was a closer. Say the 9 was a closer. He did that. He wins 14 games in the fourth quarter. Yep. The, the guy who's a 10 is not a closer. Which one are you going with? The closer. The closer, time, right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Straight up. Like, and ideally, take... you'd love to have the guy who's both. Right. Brady's both. Perfect like, world. All the time, and he comes Perfect back. Perfect world. Rodgers, that's what separates the elite. Correct. Right? That's what makes you a, a LeBron and Aaron Rodgers, uh, uh, Tom Brady. But in the absence of, like, in the absence sure. of the elite superstar, when you're dealing with two quarterbacks, two NBA players, and one's fractionally better than the other, you know, like I'm going with the dude who I'm going Absolutely. with the guy who has it. The gamer, the guy who's able to come back. Again, I'll talk about adversity a lot because you're going to face it in sports. The guys who don't let it phase them, who can bring your team from behind, who can come back and perform under the spotlight. Right. Like that's what I'm looking for every time. Uh Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic, man, mm. the magic. Fizzle, like, Ryan Fitzfizzle. Right? Yeah, it's been a rough couple weeks for him. He had <laughs> awful first half against the Steelers. Uh I think it was Monday Night Football, and then gets the start on the roads. This one's tough to pin on him because the Bears just came out and Mitchell Trubisky was all of a sudden turned himself into Joe Montana or something. Actually, you can't even compare those like because Joe Montana never threw as many touchdowns <laughs> yesterday. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, like it was just it's one of those games where it starts to snowball on you and then it's like, uh oh, we're in trouble. And just like we thought about that, thought what would happen. This was my hunch. It would play itself out, and as soon as the Bucks had an opportunity to go back to Jameis, they would. So he comes in. They were down 35-3 to at half, so the game was pretty much a wrap. And he basically – that was Jameis Winston's preseason. Now it's going to be his team. Yeah. I, do you like that? Like, I would have rather – I mean, I guess you need Jameis to get some reps, right, that aren't going to matter. Yeah. And you're not going to really hold the one for two against him, right? This is him knocking the rust off. Right. But I would have I would have rather, like, for the optics of it, just let, let Ryan play it out, let him finish it. And then bring Jamison, like, let's roll it out. We've made our assessment, like, Ryan's had two games, the magic is over, and then roll James out. But I don't really have a problem with them giving him a, a half. It was literally his preseason. Yeah. That's what they played him for. They said, hey, we'll go out there and get you some reps. Uh, not to be glossed over though, cause we talked about the uh, Bucks quarterback says, Mitchell Trubisky, really impressive performance. 
six touchdowns. He was off the charts. It, um, Matt Nagy had called up some designed some great plays for him to get guys in those positions. Right. I think it's just one of, I think he's almost in the same class of these younger quarterbacks where you kind of look at him and I don't, I wouldn't put him in the class of Jared Goff and Carson Wentz just yet. Like, hey, will you trust him fully? I think he's more in that line of he's got this potential. You know that's in there. But are you going to see a setback next week? Which I think you will. I think you'll see yeah. an up and down year with Mr. Well, especially because he didn't have a whole, whole ton of college experience. Yeah. Right. 13 so, games. Yeah. So, you know, you're still grooming him. What you, what you want to see is, I mean, this is, this is an outlier. I mean, I don't know that any quarterback ceiling is this, uh, consistently. Point being, you'd like to see him closer to this guy more frequently than you want to see him have those bad games, right? But still understand that you're going to have the setbacks with the young QB who didn't have a ton of experience when you drafted him. So he had seven touchdowns his entire rookie season, six yesterday. Right. Uh, uh, so he's he's on this track to where he could have these record-setting numbers. About I'm Mack. telling you, every time we sit here and talk about the NFL, we're going to talk about record-setting numbers because of the rules. You mentioned Khalil Mack, yep. insane day, what he's been doing, and it's just – it's hard to explain how the Raiders could not have figured out a way to pay this guy. And I think it is going to be one of those ones that come back to, that comes back to haunt them because this dude is playing like a man on a mission, which I love because a lot of guys, when they get their payday, yep. don't have as much energy. I think he still is a little feels slighted because the Raiders wouldn't pay him and he wants to prove to them, Hey, I'm worth every penny of this. And man, is he doing that? The only thing better for the Chicago Bears than getting Khalil Mack, period, was getting Khalil Mack after he felt disrespected Absolutely. by the Oakland Raiders, right? Right. Now he's a, like, he, he's a man on a mission. He's got four sacks and four forced fumbles in the first four games. Like that's, it hasn't been done since 2005, uh, Robert Mathis. Like he, he is a motivated best NFL player potentially in the NFL. That, that's great. I don't think it'll happen. But I think he'll be in the conversation for MVP. It's an offensive award. They usually give it to quarterbacks. J.J. Watt was able to do it because he was able to have impactful performances on that side. If you can impact a game the way Khalil Mack is and he can keep up this pace, he has a chance to be MVP. And there was, uh, I think it was last week, the odds of him winning MVP were either 80 or 85 to 1. I think it's not a bad value play. Like you want to take a shot on somebody and see if you can get a big return on yeah. your investment. Like not bad because if he keeps up that pace, which I think he will, I think we're still seeing him get into shape. Like remember, he didn't play any preseason, right? And he's gonna have to get more and more comfortable with that team. So it should be fun to watch him tear up the rest of the season. All right, we gotta get some crazy stuff because there was also other crazy finishes, a couple overtime games. You had Earl Thomas flipping the bird. What? I can't wait to hear your thoughts on that. <laughs> you uh, and know. a ton of other stuff in the <laughs> NFL coming up next on Off the Bench. All right, let's move on to the NFL because it was a crazy weekend. Overtime, want to get to that in a minute. But Earl Thomas, widely publicized holdout, contract yep. holdout, was asking for a trade from the Seattle Seahawks. Doesn't go to camp. Finally shows up because he doesn't want to miss out on his $8.5 million salary. A couple weeks ago, doesn't even go to practice during the week because he's like, hey, I want, I don't need to go to practice. Like, you guys don't – I want out. Yes. I'm going to go play so I can collect my check, but I'm not going to go to work every day. I just want to go what I have to do to get the check. Plays well in that game. Yesterday, they playing on the road against Arizona. Nasty, ugly play. He breaks his leg. As he's getting carted off the field, that was the moment where he everything went. came to a head. And I don't even know if it was that thought out. It was just – he just flipped the – you know, the, the salute. <laughs> but the thing that was emotions. weird, uh, emotions got yes. to him. It was quick. He was dejected. I'm sure he's in a moment of pain right there also. But he flipped off 
what most people said was his team. Right. Like it's, and, and probably was directed at Pete Carroll and the staff. I'm, I'm assuming it wasn't his players. I don't think it was a thing. No. They didn't have anything uh. to do with it. He's saying, bleep you guys for not paying me. This is what happens and this is why I wanted to get paid. That was, uh, first of all, it was unprofessional. I don't support you flipping off. Um, because the, the bird was for whoever the, the small, like, little decision making pocket within that organization. That's who he was flipping off. Right. He wasn't flipping off the fans. He wasn't flipping off his teammates. But nobody, nobody knows that, right? You're in your own head and you're thinking like the people who are supposed to know who this is for are going to know who it's for. But when it comes across, everyone just thinks you're flipping off the whole squad. So it's, it's a bad look. I don't support it. Um, but I do understand why in that moment, having seen everything that you feared, uh, coming into this season, like just transpire and you know it's broken, I could see why you would like lose control in a situation like that. You know what I mean? Like this is exactly what, he was trying to avoid. And it's exactly why he wanted to lock into a long-term deal because, you know, it is a violent sport. Guys know what they're doing out there. Like they, they take the inherent risk of doing that, but they also want the security. And when you've been a good soldier on a team like uh, the Seahawks and you've been laying it out there on the line for them for years and years, you would hope that, that, a, that a team would reciprocate with the type of loyalty um, that he was, that he was asking for, which was locking him in. And so I, I get why in the moment, you lose control. You, you know, you, you, it sucks. Right. It sucks. I look at this one and I think it's a little bit, you can't, they're all different. It's like when we talk about transfers in college, we're just going to get to Kelly Bryant a little bit, uh, with what happened to Clemson. But when you look at all, you have to take each individual circumstance. This one's a little bit unique to me because he had already paid, he'd, he'd agreed to an extension, a four year deal, 40 million. Right. Not like he was egregiously underpaid. He's still getting eight and a half million dollars to play for the Seattle Seahawks. Here's where it gets really complicated because if you really felt this way, then you should have held out and you shouldn't have been on the field because this happens. Correct. And so that would be my only thing for him. And then the, the flipping him off is a really bad look because this, look, fans don't like hearing players complain about making a million dollars. So I think from a public perception thing, which I'm sure he doesn't care about, I think it's a, just a bad look for him personally. Um, the only, like, the other comparison I have, uh, was when I played in the Falcons. I think I mentioned this before. Jamal Anderson was a running back, held out through camp, finally did get his deal, and then he tore his ACL three games later. So he got the best of the situation and said, hey, he got his money. Right. I think Earl Thomas is still going to get paid. He's got enough time to recover. He'll get his eight and a half million from the Seahawks this season. Right. And I think he'll still get a nice contract in the offseason when it's there. There just comes a point in time when players think they're worth way more than they actually are. I don't know if that's necessarily the case with Earl Thomas, but I still think he'll be okay. I think, yeah. I think I still think I, he'll get paid. I think he'll be fine. And I I mean look, you you have a fracture in the lower leg if it's if it's not you know, that could be, I don't know, eight eight weeks. That's not like something that that, that typically would derail your whole career. So I tend to agree with you. I just think if you if he had held out, I mean that's a no win for him really, right? Because right. you come back and this happens. If you hold out, you're gonna get skewered by the fans and the media and like that's it's a no win when you're in that situation. Um but yeah, I'm look, dude, it's the game you play. Like NFL players, I've said it before it's, it's what you, you, you play basketball then. Right. Play baseball you where your money is guaranteed. More, and more guys who are with this attitude saying, you know, and I, that is where I would agree. If you have leverage and your only leverage is to you withhold, use your, it. With, withhold your skill set from the team, you've got to use You have it. to use but it. But it's really hard to do that when you know that, and that's what Le'Veon Bell, this Le'Veon is, Bell is risking 14 and a half million on the field this year to get the 40 or 50 right. next year. Same thing Earl Thomas would have had to do. He would have had to withhold, withgo Eight and a half million to potentially get it somewhere else, but that's the hard. Here's where I wish the NFL would do, 
And this is why the NBA and Major League Baseball are better, stronger player associations. You have to get everybody with, to withhold their skill set. Absolutely. And say, we want the guaranteed money. We are, I don't think they'll get guaranteed money, but you have to have everybody on the same page. We want better benefits. We want better treatment. We want better. I think they should try to get the guaranteed contracts. It would, the only, the offset that would be between the baseball and NBA guaranteed deals, they would just be shorter term. Which I would, I think most guys would be okay with. with. Like Kirk yeah. Cousins only got a three year deal, but it's all fully guaranteed. I think that's the trade off that players would have to do. And there's nothing preventing NFL players from getting guaranteed deals. They Owner. just all have to be on the same page. It's impossible. And collectively use their power, which they don't. I mean, NF, I mean, NBA players, whether they're 30 teams, 15, you always have 450 guys. Yeah. Like when we were collectively bargaining the last time around, I forget what, the, what, what our holdup was in terms of like trying to strike a deal, but, my point was, like, it's not going to take all of us necessarily. It takes, but it'll take all player. of the stars yep. to say, "All right, we'll bounce. We'll go play in 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 Euro League. Like, we'll go play in FIBA." And and when you do that, like, owners will start to be like, oh, "Now, if if Raja or or like Eddie House or you know those names aren't meaning anything when they bounce, you know." And we couldn't even get. 450 to do it. So the NFL owners know there's not a chance that guys are going to be able to all come together and do something about it. Plus you've got guys, you know, there's a huge gap between the guys that are making the minimum and the guys that are making, I don't know, $20 million a year, the Tom Brady's of the world. Like right. Tom Brady can afford to do it. What about the guy who's making the minimum? Like he might not be able to afford to miss those checks. Right. No, he, I guarantee you it can't. You can't do that. Right. They're not going to be able to do it. NFL owners know it. Bobby Wagner's teammate with the uh, Seahawks said it best. It's kind of what we're talking about. His quote, if he doesn't come, then he's not a team player. If he does come and get hurt, then he shouldn't have come in. If I was him, I'd be pissed off. Yeah, you're right. stuck. Like I, and I feel, this is where I feel bad for Earl Thomas, the person and the player. Uh, so Le'Veon Bell, similar situation. He is not playing, trying to get the bigger payday. The thing is he can't get it during the season because the deadline is passed for the extension. So he's passing up on this $14.5 million. People are assuming he's going to come back in week 10. I think this is one where Mike Tomlin's like, hey, man, can we get you here because the Steelers – are in this weird spot where they really they've had all this drama unfolding off the field. They've been giving back games and tying games that they should have won. The Browns game uh, was the perfect example of that in week one. They lose. They get smoked by the Chiefs. They beat the Bucks on Monday Night Football, and you're thinking, hey, they got things back on trap, track. And then last night, after it was a close game at halftime, tied, they don't score a point in the second half, and they have been unable to find an identity, really, it looks like to me. Uh, throughout the season, and the thing that's defined them is drama. I told uh, I didn't buy their win against the Bucks as being like a breakout win for them or a problem-solving win because I didn't buy the Bucks. I thought the wheels were going to be falling off, and that was I think you saw it continue this week with the Bucks. Yes. I thought that was the beginning of that. So I thought it said more about the Bucks than it did about the Steelers. Um, and yeah, this is this is a a bit of a dumpster fire in 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 Pittsburgh. Like that defense isn't nearly. You know what it's used to be. You're, I always said, as good as, as good as uh, Big Ben is, um, and and the wide receiving core, like their identity was Le'Veon Bell. And you saw it last year. Like they they were okay, but it wasn't until Le'Veon came back and and rounded into form did things like solidify and them start to really hit their stride and that sweet spot in the balance of their offense. Right now, you're relying on on Ben, and sometimes it works, but without the balance, a lot of times it's it's not going to work. Right, so. Yeah. They need him back. And anyone that was coming out saying at the beginning of this year that they were going to be fine without Le'Veon Bell, like, you've been wrong. 
Yep. You're still wrong. And Le'Veon, Le'Veon has leveraged this. I don't know how it plays out. He does need to come back though. Otherwise he's got to play under the franchise. But he next doesn't year. have to come back to week 10. So they got a long more, they got six more games until they get Le'Veon. And who knows? Cause we, James Harrison said, come back and then fake injuries. Like who knows what mindset Le'Veon's going to be in when he comes back. There's no guarantee that he's going to come out there and just be the performer he was last year. What's so a predicament they're in? Anyone? And it's their fault. Like this is where, this is where I feel like the Steelers organization should take more ownership of because yes. they have put themselves in this They've position by not working out the long-term deal. They've mismanaged this completely. Right. And, and, and everybody knows I'm pro player. Anyone who listens to this. So like I get it. You're going to be like, I, he's just doing what he always does. I, I'm not. Like this one was mismanaged. This aside from me taking Le'Veon's stance, this one is where your your ownership group and your and your executives have to figure out how to get this done so we don't wind up here. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and it might mean that we don't get the ultimate win in terms of crushing the player on the deal that he's got to take. But it's not always about the win. Sometimes it's about capitalizing on your team's window of opportunity, which is now. Right. Do you remember uh, last week we were talking about the Dolphins? And we're talking about their yeah. players. We're saying, "Hey, I was crushing you guys about different team this year. <laughs> we're not, we're not the same old Dolphins." Uh-oh. And they started great, three and zero. They go to Foxborough, and it looked like the same story as always. Where Brady has been uh, now fifteen and one against the Dolphins in Foxborough in his career. He's owned this team, and I have to keep telling myself. Don't ever doubt the Patriots. Don't ever. Because I felt like it looked different, and I still think it it's a long season that has to play out. I still think they have some deficiencies that they're figuring out. But is there, like, isn't it dumb that I tr- didn't trust them? Because they've built up that equity where yeah. they've done it so consistently. They're just always able to figure it out. We said that anybody betting against them this week, as we did, or as I did, <laughs> was going to come in here and feel real stupid on, on Monday because right. they were backed into a corner. I guess I'll ask you the question. I saw some of the game, and... The Dolphins, whether you were buying them or not, the question to me is, does it say more about the Dolphins or did this say more about where the Patriots are as a team, right? Probably both. I think it probably speaks volumes about both. I think the Patriots can breathe a big sigh of relief and the Dolphins, you can look at them with distrust and say, this is still a young team. Right. Their schedule set up nicely where they had beat some teams at home that weren't very good. They beat a rookie quarterback up in New York against when they played against Sam Darnold. So they have a lot more to prove to me. Where the Patriots, I think, did put their stamp on something saying, we are the same team we always are. We are a contender. And that's a reason why Vegas didn't blink when they were struggling. Right. Still had them as one of the top three favorites to win the Super Bowl this year. It's just you've got that combination. You should always trust them. Tannehill, though, I, I was – Little disappointed, Ryan Tannehill felt like he was, you know, seventy percent completion rate coming out there, eleven and one his last, you know, starts. Yeah, it was a rough game for him, and so I'm interested to see again how do you deal with adversity? What does this team do? What does Ryan Tannehill do now that they've kind of put put back in their place? Can they carry off that momentum from the first quarter of the season and see what they do there? Uh, we had two overtime games uh, in, in the NFL, completely different outcomes, and yet one coach is getting praised. And another one is getting crushed for doing the exact same thing, or almost the exact same thing. So let's start with the Titans. So they're playing in Nashville against the Philadelphia Eagles. Debo, rough weekend for our yeah, boy yeah, Debo. And yeah, yeah, State gets beat. Mm. The Eagles get beat. So it's overtime. The game, uh, the Titans were down three. It's fourth and two. They send out the field goal units. They're like, hey, we'll just take the tie. We'll get out of here. We'll take it and be done with it. Fourth and two. Call the timeout. Instead, go for it. Convert. Go on, Marcus Mariota, Marcus Mariota hits a touchdown pass to Corey Davis. They get the win. Love it. Everybody's like, Frable, gutsy coach, rookie, great move, great move. All right? That's the first story. Colts playing at home. 
They're sitting there. Game's tied at 34. They have a fourth and four with 27 seconds from their own 43-yard line. They're in a similar situation. They call a timeout. They're sitting there thinking about it, thinking about it. They do. All right, we're going to go for it. We're going to go for it. We're going to go for the game. Fourth and four, Andrew Luck bounces a pass. They end up losing uh, to the Houston Texans. Rough game for them. Uh, so after the game, everybody's like, Frank Reich, what are you doing? Why didn't you just take the tie and walk out of there and say, hey, a tie is just as good? He's getting crushed for the same exact thing that Mike Vrabel did, except it didn't work out for him. I hate that aspect of Monday morning quarterback. I love both decisions equally. I think Frank Reich, I love the fact that he said, this is the team we're going to be. We want to win games. We don't play for ties, and that's our motto. That's what we're going to do. Except it didn't work. <laughs> right. Which is the only, so, but, but if you, if you, if you praise one, no, you I, have to praise I agree. both. I agree with you. Look, you're, you're, you have to, that's an identity thing. This, that, to your point, this is who we are. This is how we're going to treat these situations. Win, lose, or draw. And I'm going to stick with that. Now, I just hope that he sticks with that, right? Like, because there can't be any faltering. When you're trying to establish a culture, it's like being a parent. Like, you have to be consistent. Yep. Um, and like your, your parents, you know, have to be on the same page. So that's got to trickle down to your, you know, whatever you do. Coordinators have to have that approach. Like that's got to be the approach that you take generally um, and philosophically as an organization. And so while I'm with you, like I support it, like you, you're playing the result to some degree, right? One wins and it's a fantastic call. One loses and you're skewering him. I don't buy into that. But what I will say is you must continue to use that philosophy going forward in everything that you do so that you then can't be looking like you're, you're, you're a hypocrite, right? Yep. I think you gotta remember where Frank Reich was last year with Philly when everybody was, you know, praising them for the Philly special and right. all the aggressive nature of the play calling. He, and Frank Reich after the game said, I'll never play to tie. We're going to go for that 10 times out of 10. And I love it. I do too. And Andrew Luck, I saw his press conference where he, he kind of echoed those sentiments and I, and I like that, right? Yep. And it speaks to, People understand in that building that that's the way they're gonna. That's the he way. Had, gonna play. Andrew Luck had a monster day: 464 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. But that pass, oosh, bounced it. Yeah, like, it just, wasn't even it was close. Right that was the, the one dirt. where you're like, Ee, "What happened there?" Uh, but hey, that's what happens. You got to make the plays to go out there and win. You know who's so a ball? Go for it. Mari- get this soccer mentality out of here. Going for ties. All these soccer fans are like, "Hey, take the tie." What's your take on Marcus Mariota? I think he's playing with a really messed up elbow issue that's pretty serious. But I've always liked him a lot. I think he's still young and he's still growing. And now you're seeing them like Corey Davis, who they drafted in the first round last year. Yeah. First touchdown of his career. He's been, he battled injuries last year. Mm-hmm. You got like he, Mariota's had zero talent to work with. Now you're starting to see some talent put around him and he's starting to flourish. I like him. I think he's, I think he's a good young quarterback. Um, and it's, you know, the t- Titans should feel the same way. He's got to get healthy though, too. Right. Uh, all right. College football, crazy weekend. We got to do that. AP top 10. I might have some beef with those as I typically do. <laughs> and I don't know what happens in the next segment. I never know. I felt like I was behaved this weekend, but Hannah's going to do a little, uh, what did Danny do now? I don't think I did anything. I think I'd stay out of trouble. It's coming up next and off the bench. Welcome back to Off the Bench. It's time for my What do you do? What do you do? Nothing. I was so well behaved this weekend. So we well like behaved. to call out our guy Danny for all the things he did wrong on social media over the weekend, other than invite everyone from the show over for football <laughs> on Saturday and not follow through. I told I told the entire staff. I said, if you guys want to come over, text me Saturday. We'll get, come over. We'll fix out. No, my phone was crickets. Yeah, Nothing. no I'm one blew sorry. me up. Mm. I was ready to go. 
I was in Miami. Yep. I was too, I was too busy. <laughs> I, was <laughs> I knew it. I knew that was the case anyway. All right. First tweet. He said, we've gone too far as a society with the message of you've got to do what's best for you, that we've completely forgotten what it means to be a part of a team, trying to accomplish something greater than a bunch of individuals ever could. So, Danny, I'm going to let you explain this in a little True. bit. Let's run through these responses first. Oh, boy. So the first one says, still waiting for you to come down on the right side of one of these. Keep chopping. I hear you, Jumbo Shrimps. <laughs> Next one says, I agree, Danny, but coaches aren't held to that standard when they leave because it's a better situation for them. And the other one says, man, I'm an FSU fan and you played there, but we currently have a coach that left a team to do what's best for himself. It's okay if coaches do it, but if the player does it, now it's a problem. So, Danny, the floor is yours. All right, bigger picture discussion here because my tweet was referencing where we are very – careful not to criticize guys for transferring and i have come a long way in my philosophy on transferring if you transfer before the season i'm cool with it transfer after the season i'm cool with it even if you sit out a bowl game which a lot of guys are doing i don't love it but i've come to be like all right a lot of money at stake if you leave your team after four games i don't think i'll ever be okay with it and that was the point i was making and for all the people that came back and said what about coaches the coaches leave after the season jimbo fisher actually now, maybe mentally he had checked out on Florida State last year and knew he was going to go off to Texas A&M, but he wanted specifically to stick around until the end of the season was done. And then Florida State said, no, we know you're leaving, so bounce. Get out of here. But most coaches leave after the season is over. Here's the only thing I'll say to that. There's no penalty for them staying the whole season. They still get paid, and they don't have to give up an extra year at the university that they're going to. They still get a full contract. If you're in a situation as a player and you stick out more than four games and, this, and you're buried on the depth chart and things aren't going the way you want them to go, it costs you a whole year, one-fourth of your eligibility. And I don't think that's fair to players. They should have the ability to play all four years in a situation that's right for them. I do feel like, as a society, though, more than ever, it's you have to take care of you. You have to take care of you. And I think that's led to a lot of problems where we are Societally, like I'm talking bigger picture, like stuff outside of sports. Sure. I think a lot of it does. It now it's it's creeped into sports where it's supposed to be about sacrificing for the greater good of the team. Like if you do get benched, maybe you stick around, and if you're needed, like what happened in the Clemson game, you would still be there to help your team. Yeah. You no, know, like no. I think we're seeing it creep in at the high school level where you're seeing guys transfer. Like like Malik Henry is the example I always go to because he played at four different high schools because he kept looking for the perfect situation. Yeah. Sometimes you have to buy into a team and be willing to accept your role because everybody thinks the biggest cut pushback I got to that is well what about players they got to showcase their skill to get to the next level. Do you know how little guys get to the next level? Two percent. Like it's yeah. just not that much. I know, but I am. I actually lived the same way you probably lived sticking it out. But you were the guy. Like you were a highly recruited like. You know, you, they, they, after Charlie, it was your kingdom, right? right. Like, but I, I went, still had to compete for it. No, I, I would have lost the job. I probably just said, all right, I'm going to, I'm not, I didn't win the job. So I'm going to stay here, be a backup and I'll figure it out. Nah, well, look, I, I, I know, would, I, I wanted to play and I did play, but I, I, my aspirations were to, to play in the NBA and it was obvious where I was at given the, given the opportunity to do what I was doing and it wasn't enough. And so we made the decision for me to leave the school and it was the best thing I ever did because I was able to play in the NBA. And so while I hear you like that, it's a bigger conversation in terms of what we're teaching, you know, our, our society and what it's all about. It's me, me, me. I get it. But like, what, was, your, what was going through your mind when Clemson is playing 
And my thought was, cause we talked about this last week, I said, the problem you run into if you run, if you take your ball and go home, is that you might miss opportunity where you are. Either Trevor Lawrence plays bad, or he gets knocked out the from first, the game. The first thing I thought was Clemson mismanaged this situation. Right. They, they, they blew it. I didn't put it on the kid because you had Trevor Lawrence, who was a young player, mm-hmm. and you had the kid, uh, Kelly Bryant, who was a senior. And everything was fine in the way you were playing it. Kelly Bryant, you roll him out there to start. He was not complaining about Trevor Lawrence finishing games and doing the lion's share of the lifting, right? Right. You let that play out for this year. Everyone knows probably that Trevor Lawrence is the guy that you're going to close games with. And Kelly Bryant wasn't tripping about it, right? But when you have to name his the younger player, the starter, and now bench the older guy who's really done nothing wrong, right. you blew it as an organization. You should have written it out the way it was playing out, and you would have had both options and that was or, my first. Or they could have figured it out, and we didn't even discuss this possibility. If they would have been more open and honest with Kelly Bryant, and not honesty might not be the big word, but they could have said to him, "Look, looks like Trevor's going to be the dude. Like we're watching him every day in practice. He tore it up in the spring game. He played better. Right. You can either a you can leave now, go ahead, and we'll wish you the best, or you can stay here, and we'll use you in emergency situations. We'll try to play you only four games." Which is a risk that we're all taking. Yes. You're taking it too. And then he could have played yesterday or played Saturday, helped them win. And then if Trevor Lawrence is back, that's one game on his four games. Right. He could have played yesterday and then you that's go a completely different forward. scenario. And then after the season, if he's only used three or four times, then he can do the same thing he did now. It just feels like this rule caught a lot of people off guard. Like yeah. no one was ready for these types of situations. And hopefully people learn from it because I think there might have been a situation where everybody could have been pleased. Yeah. You know, Kelly Bryant's probably like, well, I want to start, you know, and so that maybe that wouldn't have been willing to do that. But I think this is going to be something that's a work in progress as coaches try to figure out better solutions for this. Mm-hmm. So let's we'll see that. Uh, Notre Dame, big year for them. Uh, win against Michigan to open it up. I thought Stanford would handle them physically. They did not. Notre Dame looked incredible. Ian Book, they made the switch at quarterback mid-season. Right. Because Brandon Wimbush wasn't a get, to, uh, wasn't getting it done. He has looked awesome in this office. It makes me wonder, like, Brian Kelly, what were you thinking the last year <laughs> when you have these guys go back and forth? Like, they're, right. this looks clearly better. He had four touchdowns, interceptions, pushed them around. And now Notre Dame is very much in the conversation. I was, even the driver's seat, like, you want to control your own destiny. Notre Dame is in that position and they look more than deserving of a playoff spot if they continue this trend. So they'll have, I mean, I, it's probably one of those things where you looked at Wimbush maybe and you looked at Ian Book and just one of them had way more physical gifts than the other one, you know? But that's not always, you know, the most productive. You want the guy who runs your system the best, the one, the one who can, uh, you know, the Baker Mayfield effect. Like I, I yeah. imagine Baker came into a lot of places as a walk on and probably wasn't the most physically gifted dude. So you lined him up next to Danny Cannell, and you were like, oh, Danny Cannell's the dude. Right. right? But Baker had the little it. He had the it factor. Yep. You know, he still got it. So um situation like that probably in terms of the quarterbacks. But they've got Virginia Tech, right? They have a late test against USC. Yep. Who doesn't appear to be great. Is but there anything Virginia else? That's a game where you're like, what that? Well, yeah, I mean, well, here's what happens. So their schedule, which is one of the tougher ones in the country, they go to uh, Virginia Tech right. uh, next this weekend. Virginia Tech looked all right against Duke. Yeah, they bounce back really yeah. strong. So they're always a tough out. Pitt, they should blow out. Maybe they'll be a two-touchdown favorite. At Northwestern, they'll be a – but Northwestern looked pretty good against Michigan. Lost, but they toe-to-toe with them. Michigan looked pretty bad. <laughs> that, too. <laughs> then they go to Florida State, Syracuse, and – you know, Syracuse, Syracuse is a game. All right, so they have some – They have some – Stop. Too. <laughs> uh, but the game of the weekend was on display – uh, up in State College, Penn State Fantastic led most of the game. They were up 26-14 on 
with eight minutes remaining. I'm out there tweeting that Trace McSorley looks like a Heisman Trophy candidate. He's running all over the place, finished 175 rushing yards. But uh, Ohio State, as champions do, didn't lose their composure, came right back, put them in a position to win. At the end of the game, fourth and five, we talked a lot about play calling, late game situations. James Franklin called a run play at the end on fourth and five when you had Trace McSorley running, tearing people up. Very questionable call at the end of that one. But to me, this really was. It was about Ohio State being the better team that was able to close it out. Yeah, first of all, I wish I was at the game because that yeah. looked like elect- – White out was insane. <clears throat> it looked phenomenal. Um, I, We talked about a few things. Like Dwayne Haskins struggled. I think you saw it get to him a little bit in the first half. Yeah. Right? He looked a little overwhelmed. Off. Like he was off, correct. Um, But second half, he came out. He's 15 for 23, 200 yards and a, and a touchdown. I mean, two touchdowns. So him settling down, and we had said a lot of it was going to hang on whether he could handle that moment or not. He bounced back well for the struggles, right? I think he proved something. Trace McSorley uh, clearly is a bad boy. Like, he's just one of those guys that, you know, what's he? He's a Gamer. senior. Yeah, he comes to play. He's ready to go. And That's why I liked him. Like, I thought they had that skill set, and he still did, but you've got to give him a chance to win the game. I like that James Franklin came out, and he put it right on himself, right? And he came out, he came out and he said, I blew that one like it was a bad call. And then he even came out and said, look, OSU is an elite program, while Penn State uh, University is still just a great program. Yep. And well, I'm sure Penn State fans didn't like that. Yeah, I, I, I liked, I like it. It's a, it's a fact. He's being yes, honest. he's being honest, and he was just beaten by someone. Until you beat them, like I, I tell parents, like in my like little youth organization, when they're like, "Oh, we're better than it," I'm like, you, "We haven't beaten them," so you don't get to say that. And so I like that. It keeps people hungry. You it's like, real. Let me ask if you like this, Dwayne Haskins on game day before the game. No, I didn't love it. You saw what he did? We yeah, tweeted, don't poke so the he, lion. He or took, He took a video clip that was a Penn State defender, uh, Sharif Miller, saying, hey, you know, we, we played him, we know him. They basically talked some smack. He quote tweeted it, put it out there, and said, you poking the wrong line, buddy. I don't have a problem doing but on game day. I don't love it. It just seems like a distraction. you got to be focused on that one. I don't love it, but I don't. I didn't love the Penn State guy because apparently you, you you did poke the wrong <laughs> Right. I mean, exactly. You, you, so maybe I don't like either right one of them doing it, right? All right, we got to finish up. Ryder Cup. Jimbo Fisher's out there grabbing dudes. We're going to get to all that to finish off the show coming up next and off the bench. All right, welcome back to off the bench. How bummed were you watching the Ryder Cup? I didn't even watch the Ryder Cup. <laughs> so we were all fired up. Too I had my morning, gear on, man. my official was, gear on. It was. I was tired because I woke up at 2 a.m. the first two nights. I thought it was embarrassingly bad, though. It was as bad a performance as you've seen from the U.S. team in forever. Like, it was really bad. And the U.S. continues to to f- struggle when they go play overseas. It's just, and I think the the course – was set up where hitting the fairway was at a premium, and we've got all these guys who bomb it right. and play like today's kind of golf that works on the PGA Tour, and that course was set up for guys that are more precise that can get it done, and they did. When do you know what the court? Well, I guess Jim Furyk and <laughs> they know, but there's not really anything you can do to like practice for it except go over there and practice on the course. Yeah, but don't you pick better like players to fit? Maybe not. So I was left with Furyk this. is taking some heat. Yeah, breaking up Spieth and Patrick Reed. For playing Phil Mickelson too much because Phil played awful. I mean, it was a rough weekend all around. I thought Tiger looked lethargic. Looked I think the cold 
was hurting him. Yeah. I think mean, because I don't think he ever felt loose. You know what? Coming with his back and his issues. I, that, I did take that away. You know what? I don't like to see Tiger, and I'm a Tiger dude. Yeah. I don't like to see you standing up there with all your like your your quarter, three quarter neck, and your hands in your pocket, and Francesco Molinari standing up there in a in a in a right. t-shirt. Like what? Let's go. While I'm yeah. whooping your tail. Like I yeah. love that. It, didn't, I am it was with bad. You. Tiger was 0 for four. It's the first time in his career he failed to contribute a single point. Um, I mentioned Mickelson. That was his 12th Ryder Cup appearance, but he lost both matches. Uh, it was ugly. Uh, it was a complete shellacking. USA Basketball started trying to do this, uh, I don't know, this 15 years ago when, when Krzyzewski started working with the team. Instead of building like the superpower team with all of your biggest stars, yep. they started trying to build a team where you had role players, where you had guys that would play D. So Bruce Bowen was invited to camp. I, I was invited to camp, but I couldn't go because I played for the Virgin Island national team and they tried to get some rebounders and stuff. And so, I mean, I guess, look, you want, golf is different because it's, it's a single sport, but when you start playing team, maybe you do start to think about bringing in some guys that are specialists at certain things, right? Like, yeah. instead of just bombers where you got a team full of guys who can hit it, it 350 did seem yards. Like this, to, and it's chemistry in this, it's who guys thrive. It just seemed like, and except for Spieth and Thomas, who are best bud, they hang out all the time in Jupiter. Ex- outside of those guys, I didn't feel like there was any chemistry on this team where there was a love for each other. We're going to lift each other up. It just didn't feel, were they beefing? Say that. No, Patrick Reed. Is a guy who's pretty divisive and he was pretty outspoken. He but he's a bad boy in that Ryder Cup. Exactly. He's not scared yeah. of anybody, which is very, you know, kind of hurt him. I do, I don't want to finish with this because Jimbo Fisher, there was an incident that happened in his game. Incident. I think Love it's it. a little overselling it. Love it. He grabs a player by the face mask, gets him back in his head and says, let's get back here. Tyrell Dotson was the player that he said. Everybody was flipping out, losing their mind. Yeah. I saw people saying they should fire Jimbo Fisher. You know, if I was a player, I'd smack him and I'd take him out. I'd hit him upside the head. I'd take him down. Relax. I think there's a couple things. It was so overplayed because it was in gift form, and it was like two seconds, and it looked really violent. He's shaking him. It was played over and over. He just grabbed him by the face mask and, like, got his attention and said, we've got to do better than that. Watch when he grabs him. So he grabs him and gets in his face. Doesn't do anything. Kind of like doesn't. Uh, a little shove. Little shove. <laughs> so well, now, a little now shove. You're flipping your head. Yeah, no, I'm not. Got his attention. I'm okay with it. Got his attention. I'm okay with it. He's fired right? up. Players are fired up. Like if we're in a day and age where a uh, coach can't we grab you by the face mask and, and talk to you like right here, we are in that day and age because there I don't love. I don't love the day. Outrage saying they should fire him and do away with the seventy-five million dollars. I think it's ridiculous. Cancel I think your Twitter account. I had no problem with what Jimbo Fisher had at all with what he did right there in the field. Uh, There's not, and as long as his play, it's all the only thing that matters are his players. Yeah. And if his player comes out there and backs him and says, you know, that's my guy, I was so upset, he'll have my back no matter what. That's all that matters. That's no matter what, everybody on these Twitter warriors and these, uh, you know, opinionists out there writing columns about it. Get out of here, man. All that matters is what Jimbo Fisher and his team think. And his team. If the kid's cool with it, you should be cool with it. Uh, we got to get back to coaching people, bro. Seriously. Holding them accountable. Like, yes. what, is, what are we doing?